of Genesis, we've come to the 14th chapter, and to me, it's a really interesting chapter. I'm not sure that you'll find it quite so interesting, because there's not a lot there that would make us think about, uh, you know, in the story of Abraham that would justify taking a lot of time, but there, there's one key event that takes place in chapter 14, I think, personally, that that is the reason that the Holy Spirit even put this whole incident in the book of Genesis. Because, you know, a lot of history is left out, obviously. But there's a theological meaning uh, put into the 14th chapter that uh, is, is why I find it very, very interesting. The, the 14th chapter is, you remember, after Adam and Lot, I mean, Abraham and Lot divided up, and one went one way and one went the other. Uh, chapter 14 takes place when uh, there's a, a, a war of rebellion against uh, Chedorlaomer and his contingent of kings. The, the kings on the other side of the valley had battle with him. I, I, just just to, to go through the chapter real quick, give me the first screen. Here, here's, here's the war. The, the kings of these places, the king of Elam is Chedalarmar, and he is the, the, head, the head guy. And then the kings of these places uh, are subservient to them. And if you go to the, the next slide, there, there's a map that kind of shows you where they are. You know, this is Israel, this is the Mediterranean Sea. The four kings are over here in Iraq, what's, what's today Iraq. And the five kings, Sodom and Gomorrah and the others, are over here in the southern part of, of the promised land of Canaan. And what happened is, is somehow or another these guys conquered these. And this uh, coalition, led by Elam, or Chedorlaomer, taxed, required a tribute from, from these kings every year. And so they had to pay up. They had to pay up their, their, their tribute. And after a while, they, um, the scripture says 12 years. After paying that tax for 12 years, the five kings in the valley here decided that was enough and they quit paying. And so these kings brought an army over and defeated these kings. And when uh, they defeated them, somebody came, they, they took hostages and they took uh, goods and gold and that kind of stuff and they started back. And you know that uh, you know, when Abraham came, you know, they don't go across the desert. They go up the river and then back down around this way is how the, the transfer back from Mesopotamia into Canaan. They took Lot captive, and somebody came and told Abraham that his nephew Lot and his family had been captured by Chedorlaomer and his coalition. And so Abraham, and, and this is this is the incredible thing: Abraham by himself, just Abraham and his men. He had three hundred and fourteen, I think, uh, men that he that he got together. 
that were his servants, his men, the people that were living with him in Hebron, which is here. And he chased those kings. He chased the four, the army of these four kings. I doubt the kings were there. The scripture says he, traced, he chased them to Dan where he defeated them. And then he chased them on as far as Damascus where he recovered Lot and his family and all the goods and all that kind of stuff. And then he returned. And when he returned, uh, you know, well, first of all, you see how powerful Abraham had become. You know, not long before, he'd come from over here himself with, with nothing except just you know, they liked to starve when, when they got there. And now he's, he's defeated these kings that these five kingdoms couldn't defeat, Abraham defeated them by himself or with his own men. And, and as they come back, as, as Abraham and his men come back, they've got all the goods that they, that they captured. They've rescued Lot and, and his family. When they come back, they meet two kings on the way back. One of them is the king of Sodom. They meet the king of Sodom. And the king of Sodom and the king of Sodom offered to give him anything he wanted. You know, take, take anything you want as a reward for, for saving my people and bring, bringing them back to me. Here, here's the passage in Genesis 14. It says, The king of Sodom said to Abraham, Give the people to me and take all the goods for yourself. But Abraham said to the king of Sodom, I have sworn to the Lord God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, that I will not take a thread or a sandal thong or anything that is yours, for fear you might say I have made Abraham, Abram rich. I will take nothing except what the young men have eaten and the share for the men who went with me. Abner, Eschol, and Mamre, let them take their share. In other words, he says, I, I don't want anything to do with what belongs to you the king of Sodom. He's standing as far away from Sodom as he can. He says, you can have all the people, you can have all the stuff back. He says, I just went to save, basically, I just went to save uh, Lot from, from being captured. That's one of the kings that he met. The other king is something else, and he's the one who makes it an interesting passage, and what I think is the reason for chapter 4. It's in chapter 14, verses 18 through 20. And here's what it says. It says, And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. <coughs> now he was a priest of God Most High. He blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. Uh, there's a mystery here. You know, there, there are a lot of unanswered questions. I'm sure if, if you're not familiar with this, you already have some unanswered questions in, in your mind. By reason, the fact that Abraham gave him tithes and Melchizedek <coughs> blessed him, and then later on by revelation, we know that even though Abraham was a great man, we know how powerful he was. He went and defeated those four armies 
that these five kings couldn't defeat. So you know he's, he's a powerful man. He comes back and some, for some reason, Melchizedek is greater than he is. He, he is subservient to Melchizedek. And the scripture there in verse 18 says that he is the king of Salem. The word Salem means peace. So basically it says he is the king of peace. He came from the area, what later became the city of peace, which is translated, anybody know? Jerusalem. Jerusalem. That's where he came from. So this was the king of the area that became Jerusalem. Jerusalem wasn't uh, uh, Jerusalem yet. It was just some land called, called peace. And he steps out of these shadows. We've never seen him before. We didn't know anything about him. We don't know anything about him again for another thousand years. He's never mentioned in Scripture for another thousand years. But he steps out of the shadows to bless Abraham, and then he steps back into the shadows. And even through all of the Jerusalem and all the conquering of Jerusalem and the building of the city of David and all of that, we never hear of Melchizedek again until the 14th Psalm. I'm sorry, the 110th Psalm and the first voice, the fourth voice verse that says, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. And so uh, he is... He is a priest then like, and it, it, th that is a messianic psalm talking about Jesus, that Jesus is a priest like Melchizedek was a priest. Then Melchizedek disappears for another thousand years. He's, he's gone until Hebrews, the uh, seventh chapter, wherein uh, the whole seventh chapter of Hebrews is about Melchizedek and, and the kind of a priest that Melchizedek was, and the uh, priesthood of Jesus Christ. So, so, so there are a lot of questions there. Who is this Melchizedek? Where did he come from? What kind of priest is he? Where did he get a priesthood? How was he greater than Abraham? How did he deserve such honor? He, it's Hebrews 7 that tells us that he was greater than Abraham. Who was he? You know, it's been the, it's been the subject of endless speculation uh, probably ever since um, people started reading the Bible, that who was this guy Melchizedek? Um, some people think that maybe he was one of the sons of Noah. One of Noah's sons could have still been alive at that time. Um, perhaps Shem or Ham, one, one of them could have been there. Uh, others suggest that he wasn't a, a, a man at all but that he was an angel. Uh, some suggest that he, he may have been, the it may have been an appearance of the Holy Spirit. There are others who think that maybe it was a pre-incarnational appearance of the Son of God himself. In other words, it was Jesus appearing to Abraham. Uh, others believe that uh, God raised up a... a a regular person, but an unusual person, a person of righteousness, because it says that he, he is peace. He's a king of righteousness. 
And the truth is, is that God can raise a person anywhere he needs them. And here he raises a king of righteousness in the midst of a shameless, immoral culture in Canaan. And he raises up a king of peace right in the midst of what, at least for these people, was a world war. You know, war was all around them. And this priest shows up, the, the king of the place of peace. Now, all of that's interesting enough to me, but there's, there's another very interesting thing about Miss Melchizedek, and that is he fulfills two roles. It says that he is a priest of God Most High, and it says that he is the king of Salem. Now, what's unusual about that is the kings were not priests, and priests were not kings. And when uh, the Israel was set up, and the law of Moses and everything, the, uh, the kings were all from one tribe, the tribe of Judah. The priests were all from a different tribe, the tribe of Levi. And so, you know, kings are not priests, and priests are not kings. The kings of Israel came from the tribe of Judah. The priests came from the tribe of Levi. But, of course, none of that exists yet. None of that exists yet when Melchizedek comes. Melchizedek is not from either tribe. He, he predates the tribes. But he has this dual responsibility. He is the king of Salem, and he is the priest. He is the priest of God Most High. So let's talk just a minute about what a priest is. You know, in Baptists in Baptist life, we don't have priests. Uh, a priest is one who stands between God and people. He is a go-between between uh, the the God and and the people. You know, it's it's not basically a Jewish term. It's not just a Christian term. You know, a lot of. Uh, other religions have what are called priests, and a priest's responsibility is to communicate God's will to the people, communicate the people's needs to the uh, God. In Judaism, it is the priest who makes the sacrifice that atones for the sins of the people. When uh, uh, Moses was given the law and he set up the, the Jewish religion, it was the Levites, it was the priests, those who were descendants of Aaron, who was a Levite, that were responsible for uh, keeping the temple, uh, moving the tabernacle, uh, doing the, the sacrifices. That was their responsibility. But since A.D. 70, in the destruction of Jerusalem and the tearing down of the temple, there hasn't been a Jewish priest. Uh, Judaism has no more priests. Catholics and those closely related denominations do have priests. And, and I'm sure you, you've run into some of that. A person goes to the priest and uh, the priest offers what he calls a bloodless sacrifice, which is the, the, what we call the Lord's Supper, where we're doing symbolically where what Jesus told us to do as he celebrated with the bread and wine. Incidentally, you notice that Melchizedek 
served Abraham bread and wine. Did you notice that? That's that's another symbolic thing that I just kind of skipped over, but but it's but but, but it is interesting. Um, in those religions that have a priest, in those denominations that have a priest, if if you want to confess your sins, you don't necessarily confess your sins to God or to one another. You confess your sins to what? The priest. And the priest absolves you of those sins. Uh, or he tells you what you have to do in order to be absolved of your sins. And so it, it's not a part of our theology. And there's a reason that it's not a part of our theology. And I'll get to that in a minute. But there is an infinite need for humanity to have a priest. We, we need a priest. Um, we need someone to stand between us and God. We need someone to communicate to us uh, the will of God and somebody who can stand before God and communicate our will to him. We, we need a sacrifice. The, you know, the, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And so we, we need that sacrifice in a, in a theological way. We need that. We, we need somebody to have the care and show the care and compassion of God and the mercy of God and the love of God and and we need a a a somebody to do that that that's a priest the um uh the word that's translated priest and then becomes the 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 pope which is who is the the pontiff the pontiff means the the bridge builder and so catholicism has all the words you know, they have all the words uh, for for providing that priest between God and the people. Now, this is the second thing I want to tell you about it, that I'm going to say. We're going to come back to that in a minute, okay? Because I'm going to run away from there and go back to something else, and then we'll come back to all of that again. The thing about Melchizedek is that not only is he a priest of God Most High, and so when he blesses Abraham, he's blessing Abraham in the name of the Most High God. When he offers the bread and wine, he's offering that to Abraham in the name of the God Most High. Those are all the things the priest does. Okay? But he's also a king. He's also the king. And in the Old Testament, the man who stood before God and men... And the man who led the nation were separate, that they were not the same. But Melchizedek was both. And this is where Hebrews 7 comes in, because Hebrews 7 explains all of that. Uh, and, and it says it this way. It starts in, in Psalm 100, 104, or 110, 110 verse 4 where it talks about you are, a king, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, speaking of Jesus Christ. In Hebrews, it uses that same passage out of Psalm that talks about Jesus as being a priest after the order of Melchizedek. In other words, he is a Melchizedek-like priest who is both king and priest. All right, so so you, you think think about that for a second. Jesus, 
like Melchizedek, is both priest and king. He is Savior and Lord. He is, he is the, the one who is in charge, and he is the one who offers sacrifice. You know, as, as you look at the life of Jesus as a priest, he cared for the sick, he gave forgiveness, he became the sacrifice, he died and was buried as a sacrifice. The scripture says he was despised and afflicted. He was a priest. But if you look at the New Testament, Jesus was also a king. He commanded the elements. He told the wind to stop. He, 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 he commanded the, the nature around him. He ascended into heaven. When he was on the cross, they put a sign up above him that says, here's the king of the Jews. He's the king of the Jews. Not only was he died and buried as the priest, but he arose and ascended as the king, as, as the Lord. He was despised and afflicted as the priest, but as the king, he was crowned Lord of Lords and King of Kings. And so, so Jesus is both priest and king. Not only does he offer the sacrifice, he was the sacrifice. He is the sacrifice. And when it says he was a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, boys and girls... Ladies and gentlemen, that's why we don't have priests. Because Jesus is our priest forever and ever. And so you don't need a priest to, to stand between you and God to confess your sins to. You confess your sins to God. You go on your knees and you pray to God and you confess your sins. And he hears your sins through our priest, who is a priest forever, Jesus Christ. You receive him. You want peace? You receive the king of peace, Jesus Christ. You want righteousness? You receive the king of righteousness, who is Jesus Christ. Because the king of peace and the king of righteousness are the same. And that's why there are those who believe that the Melchizedek that appeared to Abraham in Genesis 14, was a pre-incarnational appearance of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus is the Melchizedek priest. He is the one who is our sacrifice. He is the one who is our king. And when Abraham came to Melchizedek, you know, use your imagination, close your eyes and dream up a story. You know, I, I, I don't have any idea. How did Abraham know who he was. Uh, you know, you can only decide that maybe God told him in, in a special way that God had of speaking to Abraham that this was Abraham. And so when he came, when he came to the priest and the king, when Abraham came to Melchizedek, he did not come empty-handed. He didn't come empty-handed. He gave to Abraham, he gave to Melchizedek one-tenth of everything that uh, he had, that he had taken. This was before Abraham was a Jew. Abraham wasn't a Jew. He was, this was before Judaism. 
This was before the law was given on Mount Sinai. This was before Moses ever spoke a word. This was before Calvary took place. Abraham came into the presence of God and somehow he already knew that he was to come with a gift, with a tithe, with a tenth that he brought to God. Well, I hope I just spike your interest a little bit um, and, and help you to understand what a Savior we have. Start to say, you know, Mike, what a friend we have in Jesus. He, he is our priest, and he is our king. He is the one who goes before us to God, and he is the one who reigns in our hearts. Abraham was a great man. Melchizedek was greater. Jesus Christ is greatest yet. You need a priest. Humanity needs a priest. You need a mediator. That's Jesus' job. Is he your Savior? He's our Savior. Is he your sacrifice? He's our sacrifice. He is our king. He is our Lord. That's what the scripture's talking about. When it talks about making him Lord of your life, that means you give him control of your life as the king in your realm, in your heart. So Genesis 14 isn't much, but it sure is a lot. 